0: Hello and welcome to another episode of CryptoCast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by David Cavallo, CEO of Neos, who's launching a new blockchain cybersecurity enforcement protocol. Hi, David. It's great to have you on.
1: Thank you, James. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So, David, fantastic to have you on. Um, can you just sort of start by giving us a bit of background as to um, about yourself and how you've entered into the world of blockchain and crypto?
1: Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here in the podcast with you. Um, so a little bit of introduction about myself in context. So my name is David Carvalho. Uh, I've been an ethical hacker for uh, over 20 years. And uh, I've also been a, a global chief information security officer for a number of multi-billion dollar companies, both in Europe and also in the UK, mainly in heavily regulated spaces. Um, and I also advise a number of... Uh, uh, nation-states on cybersecurity, mainly on critical areas uh, from smart cities to defense. So cyber war, cyber terrorism, cyber espionage matters, uh, mainly under the NATO umbrella. Um, And uh, uh, I've obviously, you know, blockchain and crypto are a domain of cybersecurity. So they are regarding or related to cryptography. So it was something that I've been always involved in in one way or the other. And uh, I've been involved in this space or embedded in the space of blockchain. Um, as a side project, as a miner, let's say, at a certain point, I was one of the biggest uh, proof-of-stake miners in Europe, uh, mainly based on the Dash space uh, back in the day. Um, uh, and also, as a, as a, from an innovation perspective, it always made sense to me. Um, so that has been happening for close to a decade. And uh, um, it was clear that there was an interest from institutions, be it like, you know, defense for NATO-related institutions, all the way to regulators and critical spaces on actually moving to Web3, but there was a, a distinct lack of trust on Web3. So they didn't really know how, okay, so we're going to adopt, say, Hyperledger or whatever. Um, you know, how do we know if we can trust our devices first? Like, Sure, the data is immutable and everything, but how do we know if the data that's going in is actually good? Otherwise, we have the trash in, trash out problem, but amplified by an an immutable chain that's trash in, trash in forever, right, Um, situation. So uh, this all came about when I had a meeting with the former chief of intelligence of NATO in uh, Oslo, Mr. Schellgren-Hagen, back in 2018, where it was floated. So why don't we increase the reliability of the Alliance and the various networks by using blockchain and smart contracts to do it under a decentralized method. And that was an eureka moment for me. And that's really what uh, started the whole idea of the protocol and then started joining accelerators and in in contributing with universities on technology. And uh, here we are.
0: So so just in terms of of setting the scene as we start, could you just give us a bit of what the OS protocol actually is and and what it's about for those who may not have heard of it before?
1: Sure, so as a protocol, uh, we have our own layer two and layer three. So we use Web3 techniques to provide cybersecurity and trust to both Web2 and Web3 environments. Um, In OS protocol, our approach is really to use the many to provide security to the many. So we use uh, blockchain techniques to achieve consensus on the trust in cybersecurity state of devices across networks um, under our own dedicated consensus mechanism that allows for any sort of uh, device from phones to uh, servers to uh, devices across networks in enterprise or individual zone to uh, act as nodes on chain uh, with utility that uh, allow for validation of uh, cyber risks um, and uh, also trust between devices. So in other words, uh, normally from a cybersecurity or trust perspective, the more devices exist in a network, the more risky that network becomes. So basically uh, the surface of risk it increases by the, the complexity of devices that's there because it's much harder to you know secure a very high amount of devices um, than just one or two. So as the complexity increases, the surface of risk increases, which is really bad because we're going into in, in a direction that uh, you know cybersecurity uh, related costs uh, or risks are costing the world about six trillion dollars a year. Um, and it's going to raise to about 10 trillion by 2025. And if you ask how much is that, that's about 7% of the global economy. People don't really think about that. So our objective is to decrease that by an order of magnitude. And our blockchain is a utility blockchain. So it can be used with any other blockchain in parallel. It doesn't interact with it directly, but it interacts with all of their infrastructure, because all of Web3 is actually running on top of Web2 and it's inheriting all of the risks of Web2. So we use Web3 techniques to create what we call a cybersecurity mesh that allows all the devices to uh, benefit each other uh, from a cyber trust perspective. So it makes it much harder for an attacker to subvert the network since they're all connected from a trust perspective. While traditionally, the more complexity you have on the network, um, the worse, because every device is a single point of failure towards that network.
0: It's interesting to see the emphasis you're you're placing on security in relation to the protocol. I mean, just more broadly, do you think that kind of security is going to become the important differentiator between different protocols? And do you think there's going to be kind of a move towards a sort of overall minimum standard of security across all the different protocols out there?
1: Uh, I would say so, not just in terms of the protocols, but in terms of the um, you know, the infrastructure where they sit. There was actually a recent report um, from, you know, because, you know, security, there's various aspects to it, right? One of them is actually resilience, like the capability of the protocol to survive, you know, stress or tampering or whatever. Um, and, and then there, there are other elements like the services that support the protocol themselves. So the validators, etc. So there have been protocols that have been attacked by subverting the validators or attacking the validators um, because they are, they are known, you know, their IPs. So you can actually do, you know, system attacks against them, which are, you know, basically web two techniques and it's the usual meme, right? I mean, if there's a, a threat against the web three environment, even though the web three environment, you know, is cryptographically quite resilient, it's the underlying infrastructure, you know, on cloud or on premise or whatever, that's running traditional centralized systems, operating systems that are providing services to the chain that are the real problem, right? So um, a a good example of this is, you know, a report that came out from from the Pentagon, for example, in regards to blockchains for critical environments or use cases for critical environments and critical infrastructure, where they concluded that, for example, from a decentralization perspective, um, various you know, the well-known blockchains have huge issues. But if you look at Ethereum, about 60-70% of nodes are in one cloud provider. So if that cloud provider said, oh, no, we don't want to deal with this anymore, then you would have an outage in Ethereum, basically. Or you, you, it could be a survivability event for the for the chain. In another example that the Pentagon mentioned was that, uh, for example, the Bitcoin network it has the trans- their transactions running on around, uh, 90% of transactions running on three internet service providers. And again, all the validators are known. Um, so if these internet service providers were either to go down or block these transactions, you would have a massive, a massive event on chain. Uh, that's hard to predict what, what would be the, the consequence. But just stepping back a little bit and looking at the role of security and the importance for the different protocols out there. Well, as you know, current protocols are not doing different things than each other. They're basically doing the same thing, but they're doing it maybe a little faster or a little bit cheaper in um, competing with each other. And uh, the thing is the, the, uh, um, the trilemma, the blockchain trilemma has three sides. Um, of course, one of them is the security side. And I would say that's probably the one that is the least taken care of. Currently, every validator in every blockchain allows for validations to be done just on the basis of availability. So the node is asked by the chain, hey, are you available? Can you validate for us? You know, And if yes, then you can validate, right? So validators be validated and it's what they do, but you don't know if you can trust them. And this is a big problem because if your network of validators is like taken over or vulnerable, you can be shut down by an attacker, or is taken over by an attacker that can, you know, subvert the validation process. That's a survivability event for the chain, right? And also from a perspective of like bridges and projects and protocols that, you know, allow for smart contracts to be created from, you know, supposedly trusted devices within their cloud, it's the same situation. Because, you know, you can, as an attacker, you can go into these environments and, um, you know, through either social engineering or, or exploiting vulnerabilities that aren't patched or whatever, because there's absolutely no validation there. And this is really what we do. We allow for the validation between the infrastructure that exists to be there in a very resilient manner under a web three consensus model that allows you to know, yes, this system is trusted and you know it's, supposed what, it's doing what it's supposed to do in a trusted way, so I can go to sleep. <laughs> but currently you don't know, right? You just assume that everything is fine. And then stuff happens. If somebody, you know, and there's lots of examples of this. Uh, there have been, um, you know, various defi projects in the last, just in the last trimester, that you know, the the hacks led almost to more than half a billion dollars of loss. And ninety eight percent came on a report on TechCrunch that I actually participated in. Um, the ninety eight percent of these of these were actually through uh, hacks through Web two and smart contract hacks or malicious smart contracts that were, you know, sent into production from supposedly trusted devices that have been hacked. So you're you're basically seeing um, the the space hurt a lot because of uh, you know lack of security or lacks security protocols or enforcement. Currently, that there is no Web three capability to enforce security, and that's really where we come in. So any protocol environment in the traditional world uh, that you know it could be a company or it could be a web3 environment whatever they're always using web2 systems and they inherit those risks and we allow for those to be you know uh, known um, under consensus in a way that's impossible to to hide from and so you can make some important decisions i think the importance of these, of security being developed and increased on the space in general, not just for protocols, is absolutely fundamental. I mean, from an IT perspective, not even a cybersecurity perspective, risk mitigation is the first step towards you know production, right? And it's quite an immature thing in blockchain currently. Um, so we're seeing that going to go you know up and up more as you know the possibilities to hack. Uh, devices and launch malicious smart contracts that's still like hundred million dollars from from a, a bridge or whatever are a constant thing um that cannot uh, cannot keep like that uh, there needs to be you know some massive changes uh, on, on that direction and from our side we're going to be allowing for you know the smart contract pen testing of code live under consensus so if there's a vulnerability on code you know most code is borrowed right so i would say half the breaches On this space on Web three, come from, you know, code being quote unquote pen tested live because code is transparent on chain. Um, So it's very important that your code is all risks mitigated before it goes live. And currently, you know, the whole thing is very lax and there isn't really a process. If you want to push, you know, code into a smart contract, you're basically just hoping doing your best research, really, like going to the rabbit hole and seeing if anybody exploited some similar code to yours before. And maybe they did, but you don't have that intelligence, right? Or maybe you're using old code or borrowed code, which is, you know, happens 90% of the time. And you need to know if there's a risk there. So we'll be allowing for that live under consensus on chain um, and only from trusted devices. So you need to know that the device that's launching code, first of all, it's launching secure code. And second, it's a secure device to start with. So it doesn't have any standing vulnerabilities. It's not hacked. Uh, it's following best security practices. And if that's the case, then it is allowed to participate, not just as a validator, but as part of the infrastructure. And we believe that that is going to mitigate 90 plus percent of risk in this in this specific area.
0: And just, just um, one thing that you picked up there was, was the number of different protocols out there. Over the last couple of years, you've seen a kind of proliferation of protocols come into existence. Do you think that's sustainable? I think we're going to have a kind of culling of protocols at some point soon, whereas people try and work out which protocols they actually need, given the fact that so many are actually quite similar?
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. They are indeed very similar. This is what, you know, going to what I was saying before. So you have Ethereum, right? And then you have. You know a bunch of other protocols that either do it faster or better but they are general purpose protocols they are not similar to how you would see protocols on the internet right so for example in the internet you have tcpip you have uh, um uh, smtp you have uh, um things like that so for example simple mail transfer protocol that's co- completely different things than uh tcpip right um so uh, it allows for mail to exist, uh, it, 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 it allows for, you know, specific, it's a utility, you can almost call it a utility protocol. So in our case, I guess we will be the first utility protocol in blockchain. So we'll be allowed, allowing a decentralized cybersecurity mesh to be created within any environment that allows for trust and security to be validated without competing or doing similar things uh, that other, other protocols are doing. And I believe that this kind of like approach, that is, you know, there's a hyperstructure ethos approach to this, which is, um, you know, you want to create something on blockchain that is um, ideally, you know, unstoppable, you know, neutral, positive, and uh, that allows for every participant to benefit, and that it, it's like minimally extractive. So you don't want to make it, like, you know, expensive as it grows because that 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 hampers scaling. So and you need to provide uh, ideally. Um, I, I mean, this is kind of like my dream view for protocols in the future, which is not something that's happening right now. We are doing it, but I think this is going to happen more and more where we'll see, you know, blockchain go in the direction that the internet did, you know, in the early days, where there's going to be different protocols that actually cater to the network in different ways. In our case, we provide trust and security, right? But I'm sure that there's going to be other protocols that are not just general purpose block protocols, because currently you know, what you have, it doesn't matter if you go with Solana or with Ethereum or Cardano or whatever, is that the general purpose transaction model is there. So, you know, you're doing validation of NFTs, you're doing um, validation of, you know, banking transactions, you're doing integrity validation of like data, you know, stuff like that. Um, And some of them are faster or cheaper than others, but they're basically all doing the same thing. And in a way, they're competing with each other, which is not great because you're kind of like centralizing what should be a decentralized environment, if that makes sense. Because if you're breaking the cake into different bits, um, you, almost, you have a problem, right? If you're doing the same thing, right? So it, be, it can become redundant. I think it is redundant to a point. Um, having said that, I'm very curious with Ethereum 2.0 coming out proper because maybe some of these protocols are not going to be, uh, they're going to become even more redundant perhaps. And what I would like to see would be actually protocols that provide um, you know, proper utility as a protocol. So it's like they're supporting any use case without competing with each other. So for example, in our case, the reason why we're not using say Ethereum or any other protocol for cybersecurity purposes is for the simple fact that you know, cybersecurity is a critical uh, operation and you shouldn't really share let that line with anything else. Um, it should be air-gapped for security reasons. It's too critical to be plugged into something else. And besides, if you think about it, it also, it, it, you know, due to its criticality, it doesn't make sense to be on a general purpose chain as well. Um, it would become slower, potentially complex and expensive, and risks would be inserted. But for example, imagine we're, you know, protecting a nuclear power station, right? The integrity of their systems and, and their, their command control centers. And in the general purpose blockchain, transactions are queued and they are not all for the same reason. It doesn't really matter how important they are. So we might be waiting for, it wouldn't make sense for us to be waiting for the minting of an NFT or a CAT um, in order to secure a nuclear power station. <laughs> They're very different criticality levels and it just doesn't make sense to put everything on the same chain and I think that eventually there's going to be other protocols and other chains that will have a similar ethos as us Uh, so we're going to see I believe um I I believe that's the only way to go into kind of like a a multi-layered chain that allows for you know uh, value to be there in a non-competitive way that's kind of like the dream of decentralization isn't it
0: yeah, that's really interesting. I think just one final question. Actually. Just We hear a lot at the moment about some kind of crypto winter going on at the moment. Are you seeing any effect on the crypto winter? And do you think it's going to affect products like yours moving forward? Or or is, you think it, the references to crypto winter are a little bit overblown?
1: <laughs> well, there's definitely a crypto winter from a perspective of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, general, uh, you know, available money in the space. Uh, as in in known cryptos that are already in circulation, um, but I don't see that as a crypto winter at all. I see that as a cycle. I've been, you know, involved in, in the space both as a miner and as, as an innovator for close to a decade now, and I have I, I lost count to how many quote unquote crypto winters I've seen. <laughs> the, you know, I, this is a cyclical thing, and it, it's always it always you know it, I won't bet an eye on it. But the point is. There are advantages to quote, quote, crypto winters because the space is very prone to hype and overhype about things that, you know, don't necessarily deserve it. Like from a technological perspective, um, I believe that the most interesting things in the space are actually, you know, around innovative technology that's created. And a lot of what happens in the space from a hype perspective um, that brings in a lot of money is either repeated. Um, you know stuff, or just outright—you uh, know—maybe not as clear as it as you'd like or, or see my scamming, right? So crypto winters quote quote have the amazing capability of clearing and filtering out the space, so that technology can be heard again, right? In the that cacophony disappears and all the hype sort of disappears. And suddenly you can you can hear and be excited about technology. Again, it, it, it's always like that. When there is like these cycles happen, there's new technology being created and like the real, quote-unquote, quote, projects stay alive because they actually have something of value to offer and everything else kind of like disappears and fades away, uh, which allows for new technology to appear, the right projects to be funded. So for example, in our case, we have never got, quote-unquote, quote, more attention and more... Uh, investment potential and investment coming in as a protocol than since the quote-unquote crypto winter started. And I think the reason for that is really that people tend to be a lot more focused on utility, like real protocol or blockchain utility, right? They look at like, okay, let's look if there is a new consensus method. Okay, that's a rare thing, you know. Let's look if there is like, you know, they have a, a specific use case that's like, There's brings real utility either to the real world or to the blockchain world, right? Or the Web3 world. And, uh, you know, that is really valuable. Uh, And that's what we're seeing right now, backed by both investment, I think, on the the right spaces, right? Not so much, nothing against NFTs or anything, but they were really dominating the waves, but now not as much, uh, which allows for kind of like, you know, innovative technology backed by, Web3 capabilities to really, you know, branch out and, and, and dominate the, the airwaves, if you, if you will, which is a really positive thing in my humble opinion.
0: Thank you, Adrian. I that's all we've got time for. If anyone listening would like to reach out to David, his email is david.naoris.com.
1: David, thanks for being on. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure, James, as always. All the best. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast
0: Gunnar Cook has a market leading blockchain crypto assets and DeFi team providing legal advice across the whole of the blockchain ecosystem our members have been heavily involved in helping shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets from the start meaning that we have an intuitive understanding of our clients needs and can provide focused pragmatic advice at predictable cost for more information please visit our website. Thank you again.